The terminal is like the most intimate conversation you're going to have with your computer. Really, when we're writing software, we're just telling other programs what to do. It's just a whole bunch of APIs talking to each other. And I really think Node, with the help of C++, is able to supercharge what you can do with JavaScript. You might not be able to do everything you can do in Bash, but you can get pretty far. Big thanks to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com and get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. What's up, JS Party people? Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? Well, with Raygun Air and Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to quickly find and fix errors and performance issues across your tech stack down to the line of code. This saves you time, this saves you money, and this saves your sanity. Head to raygun.com to join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every single day. Again, raygun.com to give them a try with a free 14-day trial. This is JS Party, your weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Thank you to everyone who took our front-end feud survey. We have plenty of responses now, so it's officially happening live on September 2nd at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern. It's going to be a blast, so join live if you can make it. Once again, September 2nd on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash changelog. Okay, we have a great conversation for you today. Hey, it's party time now. Hello, party people. Uh, we're so excited to be uh, hosting Ahmed Oase today as our special guest. We're here to talk about all things Node automation. I think we'll be covering automation broadly. So for those of you who are listening to a JavaScript podcast who don't like JavaScript, I'm sure there's lots of transferable uh, knowledge that we'll be sharing today. But maybe we'll maybe we'll convert you <laughs> otherwise. But so well, welcome, Ahmed. Hey, hey. Nice to be here. And on the panel today, we have Amelia. Hey, hey. Jared. Hi, Amel. I'm excited to automate all the things, or at least learn how to automate more things than I'm currently automating. I, I, I have a feeling we're going to blow some minds today. So I have like the most fun stories to share about automation. Like I'm such a nerd about this. So like I can't wait to, to get into that. But before we dive in... Ahmed Oase, if you could tell us um, a little bit about your background. You have a really interesting story. Um, you're really involved with the open source community. You're involved with the developer community at large as like an instructor and a thought leader and someone who really contributes a lot of great content, um, educational content. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for, you know, saying all that. I don't know what I can say beyond that. <laughs> you said I'm Ahmed Oase and... A fun bit about me is uh, right now, like I'm the head of developer relations at this company called Rapid API. I have been a teacher. Uh, I, I call this a genetic bug in me because I come from a family of teachers, both grandparents and my parents are teachers. So like I tried running away from it, uh, you know, for a couple of years. And then I, I thought like, okay, I have to teach no matter, you know, what profession I am in and whatnot. So beyond that, I've spent like major part of my career writing open source software. 
I have over 200 plus uh, GitHub repositories, all open source, free and open source software. And as you all know, I'm a big fan of automation, you know, saving time, being productive and, you know, like spending more time on automation <laughs> than I'm supposed to. I have contributed to the core software of WordPress, Webpack, React, a teeny tiny contribution to NASA's Ingenuity Mars uh, helicopter mission. That was uh, really <laughs> big deal to me and happy to be here. Oh, that's amazing. We're so happy to have you. Um, so would you consider yourself like a polyglot? Like is, is JavaScript your favorite or, or are you kind of like language agnostic? So the fun story there is before me, there were like 13 electrical engineers in my family. So like every engineer was an electrical engineer from the same university. So when I asked, what should I do? They were like, electrical engineering is the mother field of everything, right? <laughs> Even computer science. And they knew that I was interested in computer science. I was writing, you know, Python script shells back then before college. And then I ended up becoming an electrical engineer uh, uh, for the lack of guidance or whatever you want to say. So... I tried out like 26 different languages mm. <laughs> and now I call myself a web purist. I love the web platform. Nothing anyone can do to make me change my opinion on that. And I, I used to be, you know, one of the you know, few people who used to manage like a couple of lines of JavaScript in the WordPress core <laughs> back when JavaScript was not cool at all, you know. And now JavaScript is this big thing and Node.js is this big thing, right? So definitely JavaScript in the web platform as I said, being a web purist is what I do. I love the web platform, uh, the openness of it, the APIs and everything. Amen, brother. Preach on. <laughs> You're in good company, yeah. Yeah. Amelia, did you catch that shade uh, where he was like, I became an electrical engineer for lack of better guidance? <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> so I've been automating things for many years, but I haven't used Node very much to do so. I think we're going to focus on automation, but also like, Node-based automation. Ahmed, are you doing everything in Node nowadays? Or do you automate in Bash or do you use other things or is it all Node-based? I was, for the life of me, I was afraid of Terminal. And I was like, I don't know who these people are. And funny thing is, like, I come from uh, the world where I used to write firmware software, right? It doesn't get more meta than that, right? You're writing machine code by hand, you know, counting those zeros and ones and everything. And I would just corrupt a couple of zeros and ones to just toggle the switch to off because it's it's just corrupted, right? And that's how I started out. Like, okay, if I corrupt this Simeon phone's menu button, it's sort of a fake security patch. So no one can, you know, press the menu button and go to the menu and, you know, see your videos and photos or whatnot. So like stuff like that. I used to see people who would write, you know, really weird looking bash scripts and do really fun stuff. So I, I kind of forced myself into learning Bash early on because I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of like, I didn't even know back then that I, I would be, you know, uh, pretty much excited about automating anything. I kind of foresaw that if I could automate just three things, like for example, I'm in this mindset that I want to work on this project. If it could just open up the browser and the code editor plus the terminal, that would be it for me. The, you know, even if I'm watching Netflix or whatnot, if it just opens up at a particular time, mm -hmm. I would start writing code, right? So I would be more productive. And that is how it like, you know, started Bash, as we all said. And then I started, you know, like, I think there's Matthias Mind. Uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm pronouncing his name right. He's an uh, engineer at V8, Google. And he has this, his dot .files open sourced. And then I learned about, okay, dot .files, right. And everything 
about Bash in dot .files got me to, uh, oh, oh, away from Windows to Linux to Ubuntu and, you know, to uh, Mac OS, you know, where dot .files are a thing, right? And I think I spent like a couple of years writing only Bash. And when I really got excited about it, I kind of found out that the community that is around Bash automation is not that interactive. You know, like you put an NPM package on NPM, uh, a node package on NPM, and you, you can expect like thousands of downloads by the end of the week, right? <laughs> you put a bash mm-hmm. package uh, where and how, what is the package management there? What is the release cycle? How do you version it? Like it's a bunch of tangled mess, right? And that is what I'd never really liked about bash, right? So when I started writing about uh, automation scripts in Node.js and being a web purist, I love the web platform. I know the JavaScript syntax. I have always hate might be the wrong word or too strong. But I could never remember, you know, how to write an if-else check in Bash, you know, how many square brackets it has to have. And what is that hyphen and Z thing, right? So JavaScript is more natural to me as a web developer, right? But right now, I have been able to write so much automation software around my work that is in JavaScript that allows me to not context switch a lot. But there are definitely things that you cannot do with Node.js. I love your point about how important the ecosystem around a language is. I keep trying to learn Bash, but like it never sticks because like you never get feedback and, you know, like there's no one place to go look to see what's available or like what the right way to do things is. So I thought that was a great point. Yeah, I I think like it came as a realization, right? It was not, you know, okay, Node.js has a better ecosystem. So you know how you go to a particular cafe or a particular restaurant and they tell you their Wi-Fi password and you have it stored. You just don't remember what that is. And now you're with friends and the waiter is not coming. And they're asking you, like, how are you able to connect to their Wi-Fi? What is the password, right? So you all have you always have to, you know, dig through a bunch of files to see, like, what was the password, right? So I wrote a bash script Wi-Fi password. That would just, you know, tell me what the password for the Wi-Fi that I'm connected with using the OS keychain, uh, macOS keychain. And while CLI, the automation there was really fun, everyone would have odd questions around, how do I install this Bash script? Where should I put it? On desktop uh, or in some user resources, system resources folder or whatnot? But I did the same thing with Node.js and now every, like, everyone knows, okay, I, I'm just going to NPM install mm-hmm. it, right? Or even better, NPX run it, right? So it was a realization there. Like if I create more automation software in a language that people like me understand better, it would just be adopted more. There would be more people that will get excited about it. There will be more people contributing to it. It's, it's just, you know, the, the community part of it is much, much bigger now. Like Bash has a big history that Node.js does, just does not have, but Bash is still stuck there where, you know, a bunch of things are just not, you know, no no standards there, right? And that is, I think, what is actually hurting Bash, not its syntax or not, you know, it's the way we distribute it, the way we interact with it. Is there a welcome header? It has to be ASCII. How are people <laughs> generating that ASCII code? I, I've seen beginners ask such questions uh, related to Bash, right? I think Bash is great for when you're just starting something. So if you have seven command line commands that you run all the time, you pull those seven out, you slap them into a Bash script, verbatim, pretty much, make it executable, and run it. And now you have the start of something great. You know, you, maybe, maybe you're done. Maybe it's never going to leave your laptop. And it's just going to work that way. 
But I think that's a very good point you're making when it comes time to actually like get serious about this automation and distribute it and have collaboration on it. You just need better tooling. And Bash is, you know, as old as time itself. So, you know, it, it existed and it began in the time where we just would, you know, just highlight, just copy and paste somebody else's Bash script into our own Bash script. And that's how you distribute your code. Like here, either download this file and throw it in your path or literally just copy the parts you want and type them out or what have you. But I often start with Bash and as soon as it gets complicated, like maybe I'll do a little bit of looping and that's about it. But once it gets beyond, like these are shell commands that are run in order and maybe I'm looping over some files and doing that again. Beyond that, I'm reaching for a quote unquote real programming language. I know I know a lot of Bash enthusiasts who go beyond that. Maybe they have a couple hundred line Bash scripts but those are few and far between. Yeah, it has its you know charm. Like for example, when you start piping things in Bash, and you have to use some sort of UI, you know, like it may not even be UI. It may be just templating. You know, like for example, I want to rename a couple of files, and I want to rename it. For example, I'm scrapping a couple of YouTube videos from a YouTube playlist, and I want the name to look at a particular way. I want to use a couple of things, the time and whatnot. Doing the same thing with JavaScript is just so easy. And with Bash, it's like, you have to have a cut command, pipe to that, and then a grep. Like, I, I, it's more harder than Regex for me. And that is where, like, I, I, I used to completely lose hope. Only when I kind of, you know, got this, like, realization. Maybe I should try Node.js for doing this. And, like, I think about a year ago, I did this Twitter poll. And I also did it on Reddit. What do you really use Node.js for? And I was able to like pinpoint that people actually write a lot of scripts with Node.js. They they just you know whenever someone talks about automation, it's more you know Golang, Python, or Bash or whatnot. But there were more words for you know creating automation scripts with Node.js than creating APIs. Whereas you know you would think that you know Node.js is for APIs, right? But everyone is writing npm scripts nowadays. You know it it is sort of you know a small Node.js script. If you want to go beyond that packages and file, you end up with something .js because who likes to create a bash file to run there unless until they're trying to do it on a server. And the server is also Node.js nowadays, right? So it comes from there, I think. Yeah, y- y- y'all have been, you know, I- I- I've been trying to stick up for bash here, you know? Y- y'all have been uh, bashing it down. Ah. <laughs> You just wanted to use that pun. No, actually, uh, you're like everyone's analysis is like, so on point. I, um, you know, I think Bash is like this little curmudgeon in the corner that like nobody likes talking to. And I think like always, your point about community is there is no community around Bash really. There's maybe a small, I would say, the like a hobbyist community or uh, p- people that are like maybe super hyper into automation that are you know, really bash aficionados, but majority of engineers I know are like, they have their set of bash tricks and they they copy pasta them again and again, because they, they don't even take the time to like really internalize, like what is actually going on here. But for me, it's like bash does so much heavy lifting and it's just, you know, Node.js is an abstraction that uses C++, right? It, C++ is kind of painful to write and maintain and you know we we just keep building these building blocks and npm packages are also abstractions um and i just feel like you know the terminal is like the most intimate conversation you're going to have with your computer and 
really when we're writing software, we're just telling other programs what to do. And we're, you know, it's just a whole bunch of APIs talking to each other. And, you know, I really think Node with the help of C++ is able to kind of like supercharge what you can do with JavaScript. And yeah, like, you know, you might not be able to do everything you can do in Bash, but you can get pretty far, you know? Yeah, like, I'm not saying Bash should not exist. Of course. (laughs) I I once had this epiphany that all of my dot files should now be small CLIs in Node.js. So ungratefully, I started with this MKD function I have in Bash, which also creates your directory and CDs into it, right, in one go. And turns out you cannot really do that with Node.js. So like, like I've written hundreds of CLIs. And I was stuck at this basic thing where, you know, it's a child process and it does not understand how what was created because for sort of created in the OS and not Node.js and like there are no APIs there. And I spent like two good days on creating a one-liner that Bash had in Node.js and I just gave up. And then, uh, you know, like <laughs> I was talking to a really, like, like I think JavaScript and React has corrupted us. So I have a bunch of files in a folder and I am trying to list them and do things for them. In Bash, I can do that, right? But I want to await that thing, right? <laughs> and I have no idea how I can do that with Bash, right? You know, I, I want to make sort of a UI, a loader, so I know like it's happening in the real time. It's not, you know, a fake loading bar or whatnot. And there's a really good project called ZX, ZX by Google. It's a tool that is actually a Node.js-based Bash scripting language where you could just await something like this, you know, await ls. So it's a bunch of Bash inside your JavaScript, inside Node.js, and it just works, right? So I think that tool actually came out of this frustration that people want to write JavaScript, right? But they want to use some parts of Bash just as is, you know? So like, I think there's fun exchange between these two languages. Yeah, but like, don't don't you think that like, some of these problems are because like these concepts don't actually exist in the lower level languages, like the concept of await and promises, you know, they don't exist in C and they don't exist in these low level languages. And so, and funny, funny backstory, actually, really coincidentally, I, I was having a conversation about this exact topic with Alex Russell yesterday, and he was explaining to me why, like, they, they tried implementing promises with TC39 in like 2010, and they just gave up because they kept trying to explain to these like low level implementers, like, what are promises? Why are, why is this important to web developers, right? TC39 a long time ago didn't really have a good representation of uh, web developers, right? It was mostly actually like language designers and implementers, the folks who actually work on the engines in, the, in browsers. And so, you know, like there was just no empathy, right? There's like, what is this promise thing? What are these web developers doing? Why do I need to like, you know, why do I need to deal with timing issues? And uh, why do I need to introduce handling for asynchronicity? You know, it's really interesting. Like there's just concepts don't always translate one-to-one across, uh, you know, languages and ecosystems as well. And so there's a little bit of like this uncanny valley where you need to kind of like make bash do an await. Like how, how do you do that? Right? Like I can't do it in like you pay me a million dollars. I don't think I could do it today. So, you know, how, how did you solve that problem? I always tell us. Yeah, it's that this library from, you know, Google that I talked about ZX. Before that, I think it's really new. 
it has like i think 20000 stargazers on github or something but before that it was a bunch of different packages hacked together which had you know some of them had webassembly some of them had you know lower level uh, nodejs c++ code that would allow you to in a very very hacky way do this kind of stuff like i had this huge course on uh, lynda.com i was trying to learn photography i promise you i've still not watched that thing and it was like a 10 hour long course and somehow you know my isp in linda was not you know working out really well so i figured they are not allowing me to download this maybe i could write a script to download it but then downloading it would be really bad because i didn't have that much space it was like a terabyte or something it was really big because it has raw files uh, that you know that instructor wanted us to look at or what not so i hacked together a bunch of clis where i was able to download it through a cli called youtube dl and then i uploaded it to dropbox through a server on digitalocean and from there i was able to you know kind of stream it uh, on a peer to peer network right so my electrical uh, engineering knowledge came to a little bit of help there but the fact that i was able to do that was impressive like i completely left you know i had just bought a new dslr for the first time and this is like 6 or 7 years ago and then i i put that camera aside and i just got more and more excited about this whole new world of automation like if i can do this what can i do and then i started really liking data like where, where i come from we our stock exchange actually still publishes numbers using pdfs they don't have an api that a public you know uh, a public level api that anyone could use so i had to scrap those numbers from pdfs to create a sort of a real time database plus api and that was so much fun right so i i know it's it's a bunch of uh, you know things that were hacked together and patched together the developer experience was just not there back then and that is what i think nodejs is for me if i have to do this the same thing again i just do it with nodejs right it just makes sense it people are even crazier <laughs> they are trying to write uh, clis with react and it's for me it's too much right but <laughs> but people are doing that yeah i'm going to refrain i have no comment on that um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's just kind of like you know everybody seeing uh yeah like react as the nail and they have the hammer or whatever you know trying to fit it into places that it doesn't necessarily belong but um i once learned about a project uh like a real life project that used react's life like render life cycle to control like um events on in a drone so they were using like react's life cycle hooks and they were using react in a non rendering capacity to like run a drone it's i i like yeah So I'll see if I can find that project and link it in the show. But like, where there's a will, there there's a way. You know. I'm surprised there's enough space on the drone hardware for the entire React runtime. That's amazing. Agreed. I I I'm just amazed that like an engineering manager approved this project. Like, but you know, that's besides the point. <laughs> I think the point is maybe that like all these things are just you know everything's software. there's everything as an interface and you know it's just bits talking to bits and nodejs kind of gives you that like it just gives you an entire ecosystem of like reusable composable utils that you can just like super, you know use to supercharge and solve all your problems so 
that's kind of like what I'm walking away from this conversation with. Yeah, like for me, I think on one end, I don't like you as anymore. Like I love to design. I wanted to be a designer. You know, I, I couldn't ever sketch, right? And then I found out like, okay, engineering is, you know, paying my, you know, for the food on the table and everything. But like on one end, I create CLIs in the terminal, right? Which has no UI or whatnot. And the other end for UI for me is components, right? It does not have to be even Google Sheets or, uh, you know, presentation or whatnot. Doesn't even have to be Markdown. I love my React components a lot, right? So like, for example, my resume, has gone through so many iterations over the last 15 years. You know, it started with a Word document. Then I used to have InDesign for my resume and whatnot, you know. And now it's based on Next.js because it's so easy. Like, there are numbers in there which are live. So whenever someone asks for my resume, I just, you know, send a render. And those numbers I know are, you know, live. They are my followers. They are being pulled through the API and whatnot. So I, I just don't know of a better construct for UI then components, it's sort of minimal in that way to me, right? Yeah, I was waiting for like the data viz expert to chime in here because- like, <laughs> I was also I deferring was, to Amelia on that one. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was just, she's thinking. I was thinking, I'm just a little slow today. I was thinking how interesting it is that you were interested in design and then you switched to, I think what you were saying is being more interested in like component design and like the design of programs, which I think that's a really interesting parallel between like, you don't have to be like pushing pixels on a web page to be a designer, but like if we're creating scripts, then we're also designing things for humans. Um, yeah, like Bash has a user experience. It's painy, <laughs> but it's there, you know? Might need a few more designers. <laughs> Right. But no, I mean, like, I actually think not all CLIs are created equal. And there's a lot you can do when designing a tool that doesn't use a graphical user interface, right? No GUI. Like, yeah, there's a lot that you can do to make things easy or pain painful. Like, right? Like, think, you know, Vim or think Vim versus your favorite CLI tool. It's a much more delightful experience in the terminal. When you have a sense of predictability, you have a way to get in, get out, you know what's coming, you have helpful messaging, right? You know, so there's there's definitely an art there, I think. Um, and, you know, not all CLI tools are created equal. A recent trend that I've been looking at is a mixture of both. Like, for example... Whenever I want to send an API request, I love my terminal. I can send a curl request. It's just when it's bigger than a get request, it's a post request. It has a bunch of, you know, data. I hate writing those, you know, slash this, slash that, slash, right? So like, I, I'm completely forgetting what the name of that company is, but it's a CLI, uh, I think it's called, I, I'm completely forgetting. I, th it's, I think, it's, are you talking about fig? Yeah, it's fig, yeah. So it's like, Inside your terminal, for the silly parts where there's a lot of repetition, it, it opens up a UI. That part of UI is really good. You can fill the data, the parameters there, and then it turns back to the CLI part, right? So like it's like Zapier with code, right? So <laughs> Totally. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, totally. So we're going to get into all the kind of nitty gritties of this ecosystem. So we'll be right back, kids.
This episode is brought to you by Sentry. Build better software faster. Diagnose, fix, and optimize the performance of your code. Over 1 million developers and 68,000 organizations already use Sentry, including us. Sentry also recently shipped a new SDK for Next.js applications. Check the show notes for links to more details. Best of all, our listeners get the team plan for free for three months. Head to Sentry.io and use the code THECHANGELOG when you sign up. Again, Sentry.io and use the code THECHANGELOG. So Ahmad, I'm curious, we were just talking about how to design good user experiences. Um, I'm curious, like, how do you go about creating scripts in Node and how do you kind of build in that user experience that's easier to use for developers? Yeah. So uh, I think there are two parts to this question. Uh, one is like, how do I end up, you know, thinking about, okay, this should be a CLR, right? So uh, that is sort of a life choice I've made. Like, Whenever I wake up, I open up my terminal and I write dashboard, right? And it prints out everything I care about for that day. It has my to-do list. It has the number of sales of my courses, the meetings I'm going to go to, a bunch of things all inside of terminal. And these things keep changing. I scrap a lot of, lot of data. So I use Flight and Data Project now from GitHub as well, right? So uh, what I do is, like, for example... I also don't watch news. It's been a, a long-term commitment. I think I'm in the 10th or 9th year of it. So like, for example, a fun story here is COVID was happening. I was the last person to realize that it was happening. <laughs> I actually just quit my job to travel to like 40 different countries wow. throughout 2020 <laughs> in COVID. And I spent six months planning that. So I was the last person to find out like, okay, this is something that is beyond you know, it's, it's global, right? And then there was just so much weird news out there. I just couldn't pinpoint, you know, what was the right way to, you know, what is the right thing? Even if I went to WHO's website, it was very hard to figure out where is the COVID data? Where are the stats that would give me information the way I want it, right? Like, I don't think there is a news channel that would let you customize news the way you want it, right? So that is where, you know, uh, there's a good startup idea, by the way. <laughs> uh, there's where, you know, I created the CLI and I just put it out there. And that CLI is, I think, served about 2.9, uh, 2.89, I think, billion API requests. I'm just grabbing a bunch of, you know, COVID data and I just put it on GitHub, right? And that is exactly what I do. Like, even for a really small thing as a CLI user experience on, you know, how to tell people, you know, press space or press enter. In the bash community, they are, I'm, I'm not trying to bash them again, but there are just so many assumptions that a dollar sign, that dollar sign kept me away from terminal for so long. Whenever I would run a script, it would just, you know, cannot recognize the dollar sign command, right? So like, I try to create so many packages that that could be just, you know, a couple of lines of code to make sure people would know that there's a CLI welcome package that so many CLIs are using that I created. All it does is it just prints out, you know, the header of a CLI. There is a CLI help package, and then there's a particular way people write so many spaces in uh, on different spaces to write, generate help. And there are really good packages. Uh, like uh, Sendrasaurus has a lot of work on this, like his Mao uh, framework. 
where it falls behind is when you have to write things that would contribute to user experience and the design of your CLI. So I matched a couple of different projects to create a tabular uh, interface. So you would just have to create a JSON file, a JavaScript object, if you may, to tell people, uh, you know, that CLI, you know, what, what is your flag JavaScript object? In that object, you can define, you know, if you type, uh, let's say, minimal or M, it would just create a less uh, designed, uh, it would just print out the less designed version of the CLI right now, right? But to be able to do that in the Bash community, I don't know how they do it. They like manually enter and calculate the amount of space or they run a loop on something like that. But in, in JavaScript, we have really good tools that could map things out like this. So throughout my journey of open sourcing and creating CLI projects, I have relied on creating a lot and lots of small, tiny, projects that I just pull in together to create CLIs. So once I'm done, it takes me literally less than five minutes when I start writing a CLI project to create a small CLI and to be able to publish it on GitHub, on NPM with really good documentation and API reference of all the objects, less than five minutes or for a small CLI, right? And that only happens because I have so many different packages, so many automations running for me. And I feel like really good when, I, when, when I'm able to do that. What's your philosophy behind like writing scripts for yourself and writing scripts and then publishing them on NPM for everyone to use? So I used to be like, you know, I should start writing open source code. And I started like, I think 15 or so years ago uh, with WordPress. I've contributed to a bunch of different software, React, Next.js, Webpack. Uh, actually help React get least relicensed as an MIT library, right? But things like that happen really rarely <laughs> in your life. You cannot really wait. Like there's uh, a child theme concept in WordPress and everyone knows it's just one functions.php file and a style.css file where you just write one thing that my parent theme is this theme, right? I created a small package for that and that was a huge success somehow. And that, uh, you know, it was like, I think eight or nine years ago. Then that and then I kind of, you know, realized that I can never decide what or which of my open source work is going to go viral and is going to be something that people are going to be crazy about, right? Or something that I would feel good about Then it had has a, lot, a big impact. So what I decided was if I could automate away a bunch of different things that are, you know, just wasteful, like for example, you see how many automation scripts you find on GitHub gists? I think that happens because people are, I don't want to write a readme. I don't want to publish it on NPM. Maybe I'm on a machine where I, I'm, my things are not set up, but this is a really cool script that I just want to put out there, right? But the problem with there is it's it's not really useful, you know? People cannot pull that into their, you know, the, the community part is just, you know, you just broke JavaScript's community part. That is what it was good for, right? So I automated all of these functions. So I don't have to worry about, okay, now I have to have a changelog file and now I have to publish, you know, notes on GitHub releases. I automated all of that. So all I could focus on was solving a small or big problem. And that way, anything that I see when writing code in whatever project that, okay, this could be useful, right? It takes me literally you know, really, really small amount. It's it's like copy, paste here, run a command. Like in, in my Node CLI course, I created a CLI that creates CLIs, right? So I actually so got so excited about it. I ended up recording a huge amount of, you know, videos on it. That 
where it, it's so intuitive that you only have to run one command. It will know all your defaults, all your what, what should be, you know, in your change log. Then I invented a small emoji log uh, commit spec for messages, which relies on just like three, you know, five to seven emojis, nothing more than that, which is very good for generating change logs in, you know, generating uh, uh, release notes. So a bunch of these things get automated by just writing good commit messages, right? So like, once I was able to do that, I was able to, you know, improve my output from, you know, churning out, let's say, a couple of open source software per year to 30, 40, you know, open source repositories, even if they are really small, even if they are not, you know, that useful. Like, for example, uh, you know, uh, there's this month where all of our Muslims fast. It's called Ramadan. And we have Seher and Aftar times. So I have a CLI <laughs> for that. <laughs> and a bunch of people use it, right? A bunch of people... You know, like it's a struggle every time you wake up like 3 a.m. in the morning and everyone's, what is the, you know, share time today? And like, I only have to, you know, open up my terminal. <laughs> I, I, I love how I, I identify as a Muslim as well. And I love how your answer to like, it's 3 a.m. and I don't know if I can eat yet uh, is like, you know, like I'm going to just open up my laptop, run some commands in my shell. You know, I love I love how that's your answer versus like, you know, click on this, like, like refresh this website that I may or may not have open. Like, like I, you, you've clearly, you've gone to the other side, my friend, in, in a good way. And I just, just want to like, I just want to kind of like step back a, a few because you dropped a lot of, of, of good knowledge there. So first of all, thank you for the COVID CLI. I think that was like, like that was the one project where I feel like, wow, maybe JavaScript is actually useful. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you know, it, it just made me really proud of NPM and the community and the ecosystem that we've built that, you know, has really solved a lot of pain points around code distribution that very, very well. You know what I mean? Um, so like, that's amazing about our ecosystem. And we're very lucky, you know, for that. I mean, folks are coming into JavaScript without kind of scars from prior uh from prior lives like you know you don't you don't know how good you have it folks like we have a really nice ecosystem for code distribution but that being said um what you're kind of talking about here is like you're like really humbly talking about good software design and good software architecture like and we're using automation as a use case like i feel like you're 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 talking about principles of modularity you're talking about kind of um really building out the pipelines so that you can actually focus on the problem that you're trying to solve. And I feel like one thing that really gets in the way for a lot of people when they're trying to like get started with like, you know, automation work or writing scripts is it's the pipeline piece because so often everybody knows what business logic or what method they need to write to like do the thing that they need to do. It's all of the other pieces around like, how do I connect with my OS? How do I, how do I get it out? How do I get it in? How do, how do users interact with it? Like that's the stuff that really trips people up, you know? And it really feels like we're at a tipping point now where, you know, automation is really critical. Like I think it's a critical skill for developers to be able to really like, I hate to use the word 10x, but like to 10x yourself, right? Like, and I'm using this in a way that's really very, uh, much around like the marathon that you have with yourself, not with others, right? It, you know, if you want to free yourself up to not work on the same problems again, right? Like look look for ways to kind of reuse uh, tooling and code and being able to kind of build these pipelines for yourself. But maybe we're at a point now where we don't even need people to learn how to make CLIs for CLIs because as, as an open source tool, go use that and then go focus on the code that you need to solve, you know, need to write to 
solve your problem, you know? Like, we'll take care of the plumbing, right? It's the beauty of open source. I think you kind of picked up on one thing I was trying to mention. Like, for example, you would, you know, listen to or watch to this motivational speaker or something, you know, they're saying, like, you just have to pick yourself up and go to where you are, you know, uh, where you run. Nothing more. If you feel like running, you can, you know, go on. But your task is to, you know, get yourself in a car and, you know, go, drive to where you go to run, right? Rest your body and your brain would just make things uh, work for that. And for me, uh, you know, like, for example, like, as I told you earlier, I was studying electrical engineering. I, I started double majoring in CS. I had less time. So even to date, right, I have this alias called O. And if I, on my work computer, I go to my terminal and I type O and press enter. It would just open up everything I need the way I left it there for that pro particular project. So, for example, there's a project for TypeScript, so it's TO, or it's something, you know, for recording, it's RO, record, recording open, so it would open up everything. So it gets me to that point where, okay, now I have to open up ScreenFlow, and now I have to open up Adobe Audition, and now I have to, you know, set up all these, like, three different screens I have, the way, and it's like, you know, when, when you sit down to study and you're just sharpening your pencils and you're like, okay, I'm done for the day, right? So for me, uh, getting productive is, I want to spend the most amount of time on the actual thing. And that is what I'm mostly excited about, not writing documentation. I know documentation is useful, right? But the fun begins when I'm trying to solve a problem and when I have solved a problem. And then it's all about, you know, okay, now I have to write TypeScript types and whatnot, right? <laughs> to make it really look really good. So, so I want to be able to, you know, get there as soon as possible. That is how, you know, it. I, I'm right that way, I think. <laughs> so let's say I wanted to take your CLI superpowers and inject them into my body to, to also become super powerful like you. Where do I start? Because I see like there's a create node CLI repo. Is that the one? Or like, where do people go to say, he's done all the work. I can create CLIs that are super awesome, super easy, just like he does. Where do we go? There are a bunch of places you can go. Uh, first thing I would say is if you want something completely free, I have so like, for example, I've been creating these CLIs uh, for a while now, right? And people have been asking me to teach this. So I started a course called nodecli.com. It's a paid course. And I, I recorded 30 hours of content. I deleted two thirds of it. It's 10 hours of content now, 20 projects, 100 videos. So if you want to, you know, just, you know, I'll, I'll handpick you. I'll teach you what is Node, how people are teaching Node.js event loop in the wrong way. And, you know, stuff like that. I'll give you, uh, you know, how to create templates, how to create. It's more than, you know, just creating CLI. It's more about, you know, how can you automate your life as a software developer, right? And the fun part is... Uh, all of the exercises, all of the code uh, that I create in that course is open source. So you can go to my github.com uh, slash MLOS and you can, you know, find it there. It's pinned right there. Even if you don't want to go through that, even if you just want to create good CLIs, I created a project, I think, which was like, I think two hours of videos called Create Node CLI, right? <laughs> it's just like Create React App for Node.js and CLIs, right? It was a fun project. Like it, it can remember things locally. Like what was the author name you put in last? You know, it can remember that kind of stuff. It, it's really intuitive that way. It can generate all the files you need. It can set things up, wire things up in a way. You know that you start right there with. You know, okay, this is the bunch of code I picked up from Stack Overflow, or I figured it out. It has everything figured out, the documentation and everything else. So it, it you just write that or paste that code, and now you have a CLI, right? So create node CLI, 
for something you want right away. My Node CLI uh, projects on GitHub, which are completely open source, even the documentation is open source. And if you want uh, paid videos, nodecli.com. I saw a tweet today that was basically, it said something about, I don't understand why people pay for courses. I'd rather you just offer me a service and I'll pay for that. Like, don't make me pay to learn something, which first of all, I totally disagree with. And second of all, I think it's funny that you're both offering a course to teach people and you also have like the automated scripts to do the services for them. I'm also curious, like, which do you see more interest in? Like, are more people using the like automated script to make a node CLI or do more people, are more people interested in taking the course? Wait, is this a trick question, Amelia? Because I, I just was curious if you were like trying to bait at the uh, engineers constantly reinventing the wheel, but like problem, <laughs> um, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So wait, do they use your awesome tool that's been vetted and, you know, or <laughs> is everybody trying to like Build their own. fork and, you know, one up your, yeah, just joking. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding. I think people learn in different ways and like, I think part of me open source it because I come from open source and I've learned so much from open source. Like uh, every problem I have, I just go to, you know, GitHub and send you a Soros, make a directory, right? So like, like if he has a package, I can just trust that package, right? So like I kind of owed that to open source, but I'm also selfish here. I really want people to build CLIs because I know I don't have all the time in the world, but they are going to build some things that I'm going to use. So there are a bunch of CLIs that my students have created that I am using. So they paid me for my course and created something that is actually helping me. So like, <laughs> it's either being selfish or whatnot. I just wanted people to know that this is how I do it. And you should definitely do it, even if you don't use what I you know teach here. Yeah. So I, I went through my own like journey with automation um, and, you know, overcoming my fear of bash and the term, like I would say going beyond surface level terminal commands, which every, most people are familiar with doing day-to-day -day work. And I have to say just from my own experience, like it's a journey and not everybody's path is the same. You're not solving the same problems as other people. And so you kind of, you know, I, I really love this distinction of like pipeline versus like source code, right? So if you can kind of really maybe just draw the line there, you know, write the code that does the thing that you wanted to do and then tackle the problem of how, how does it connect to everything else and how do you get things in and out of it as a secondary step? Because I think sometimes when you start doing things like that are so brand new and, you know, like it can be daunting. It's hard to get steam and momentum, you know? Um, so you can kind of build on your successes like incrementally in that way, but it really is a journey and it's really, um, and it's a journey that never ends. I mean, you know, the operating systems and like languages, libraries, tools, you know, new problems arise, new APIs are, are you know, come out, um, old problems creep up. I mean, you know, security issues pop up. I mean, you know, it's, it's very much a living, breathing ecosystem, even though a lot of us think of the terminal as very static. You know, did y'all know Git has, there's new versions of Git, there's features being added to Git, you know, like <laughs> Linux is a living, you know, breathing project, like just, there's just so much. So, um, it's a journey, but but it's like foundational knowledge that really is like the missing manual for many web developers who started out, you know, kind of doing higher level, um, you know, software design. So 
I should probably just mention this. Like, I used to think that creating automation is so hard. And what clicked for me was when Chris Coyer showed that you can actually write CD space in this, just drag and drop that folder and it will just translate to that path and just press enter, right? That was so easy. Like it was two years ago when I learned that, okay, USR is not user, it's user system resources, right? And everyone says, you know, go to this user library. It's like not everyone has the deep, in-depth knowledge of how you know Unix was based on Linux was based on Unix and you know how these resource folders were created, whatnot. So for me, what was stopping me to jump into you know jumping into this command line world was you now how do I even CD to this folder? I don't like I know it's on desktop and this is its name, but like I don't know where it is desktop, right? Like when I was young. And just somebody showing me, okay, you could just drag and drop and CD it to it. And I'm like, okay. And there's a fair amount of gotcha here. Like it starts with that thing and then it's a big rabbit hole. You really start to enjoy it and you spend more time writing automation software than actual software, but it, it's so much interesting. Yeah. Like also really, I think always uh, to your, always I called you by your last name, Ahmed. Um, to your point, it's a journey, but also a lot of software engineering is, is kind of fighting your distraction factor. Like you have to not be distracted by what you don't know. You don't have to know all of the methods in the jQuery API to use a few methods in jQuery or even create great apps in using jQuery, right? Um, and so, you know, the really beautiful thing about like the, 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 the you know, the, the shoulders of giant, like we're standing on the shoulders of giants because they, they design these great APIs that are very modular and can be used um, as individual segments, right? And so first you're learning how to use CD, then you're learning how to use MakeDir, then you're learning how to use Touch, then you're learning how to, you know, uh, like do pipes and graps, right? It, it, these are all composable elements that, you know, you're going to kind of put in your like knowledge tool chain, you know? So with that said, before we close this segment out, Ahmed, I'm going to ask you a question. You have like one inspiring thing to say to someone who's like, who, who's, who's like, you know what? CLI, no way. Terminal, yuck. I don't even use command line for Git. I use a GUI, you know, like terminal scary. Like what's an inspiring thing to say to that person to, to get them over the hump? Yeah. I, I don't know what that could be for me. It was like, I wanted to be a designer and now I love the terminal, you know, the idea of automation. Like I haven't given up on the design since I love writing CSS from scratch. I've, I've contributed to Bootstrap, but I've never really used Bootstrap. So like I am weird that way. Like I love the design part of things, but it doesn't always have to be UI versus or you know, GUI versus terminal. So if 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 I'm you know get bisecting something, I would definitely recommend doing that. You know, it's so easy in a GUI. You know, you just drag a branch here and drop it, and you know it will just take care of everything. But everything else, I don't want to write. You know, like a bunch of things. Like I think sometimes once you start writing automation, it's the same thing. You know, you have like ten images and you want to rename them, or hundred images you want to rename them a particular way. Then you feel like I don't know why I became a software engineer, right? If I can't even write something that would just, you know, I, I can see it. I can mentally imagine it, right? At least in JavaScript, you can. If you just know what are, you know, the basic integrations, uh, uh, you know, how to touch the file system and, you know, how to pick, uh, read these files and rename them. Everything else is just, you know, really, really easy, right? So it, it's a superpower that you can just have, you know? It, it will 
pay its dividends over the years. Amel, can I take a crack at answering that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, please. So if you're sitting at your laptop and somebody comes over and they look over your shoulder, maybe you're trying to impress them. Maybe it's a girl. Maybe it's a boy. And you fire up your terminal and you type in a command and fire it off and things start happening. They'll think you're really cool. They'll think you're a hacker, man. That's right. <laughs> Dude, bro. They'll think you're smarter than you actually are. Hack, There's your reason. Hacking hack the world. Yeah, it's so funny. Any other reason? It's fun. No, legit. That's that's actually very true because I'll, I'll be doing work on airplanes sometimes. And then like an hour later, I look up and then like the person next to me is like, you're my superhero. I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> I'm like struggling with some basic stuff for like 40 minutes, but I'm glad you, you know, I'm glad you think so, you know, but, um, but yeah, no, always to your point, know your shortcuts, if anything, just for your own ego, right? So you can, you can feel superhuman <laughs> and uh, get a little closer to the metal. So with that said, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with fun stories of our automation journeys and fun examples and our uh, folks on Twitter who shared their favorite uh, automation tips. So talk soon. What's up, party people? This episode is brought to you by Micro. Micro, aka M3O, is a new cloud platform built for developers by developers. Our good friend, Asa Maslam, is leading this. And if you're tired of AWS and feeling overwhelmed by the cloud, infinite billing, and an endless sea of docs, it is time for a change. The Micro team is reimagining the cloud for the next generation. M3O is a new developer-friendly platform to explore, search, and use simpler APIs for everyday consumption all in one place. Get access to the APIs you need in one click and test them right there on the web before using them. Simple, fast, and affordable. You won't get burned by bottomless billing. You top up your account and pay as you go. And right now, they're in early development and building out the first set of APIs and they're looking for feedback from developers. Sign up and get $5 in free credits. Kick the tires, give them your input so they can build the best APIs you want to use every single day. Learn more at m3o.com. Again, m3o.com. All right, everyone. So we're back. And this is like going to be my favorite part of the show, which is like story time, automation story time. Uh, And no, we haven't written a bunch of scripts that are using robot voices to narrate these stories. Like that's, that's not happening. Are you telling me I narrated these stories for no reason? Beep, boop, bummer. These are true stories, real humans, real uh, war stories and proud moments. So everyone, like what's, what's the thing that you're like really, really proud of doing using automation? Like, even if it was like renaming a thousand files, like that's, that's a thousand files. Like that's cool, you know, but like, what, what, what are some stories? Jared, you, you want to go first? Sure. So back when I first got started, I actually didn't consider myself a programmer or developer. I was more of a scripter. I was studying information security in school and I liked to just script things, but I didn't actually think of myself as a developer. Uh, When I first got out of college, I was a network administrator, so I had managed some Linux machines, mail servers, stuff like that. And there's a lot of manual tasks on a network to keep it running. This is back in the early aughts. And I had a lot of jobs I had to do every single day. 
And then slowly I just automated every single one of those jobs to the point where I didn't really have a job anymore. But everything was still running smoothly. So I used that opportunity to learn web development on the job while my job was doing the job for me, which was pretty cool. So I actually learned how to do web development while being a Linux network administrator because I had automated all the things. So that was pretty powerful. But my more fun one, I'll, I'll do this one real fast, is that I like to smoke cigars. And there is a website, it's a cigar auction website, and they have a particular auction style called Freefall, where they have like these falling prices that reset on occasion. And so the prices start high, and then they fall down to some sort of threshold. Then they go back up. And the reason they do this is because they want you to sit there and watch it and buy it when you think it's low, but you're not sure exactly, is this the lowest or could it get lower? I don't know, I'm going to buy it anyways. But as a developer, I thought, you know, there's some sort of minimum amount that it's going to get to eventually. And it may not hit it every time through, but it's going to hit it at some point. And one of my best friends used to have a job where he would make phone calls all day. So he would sit there and stare at the screen and, <laughs> and watch the free fall and buy cigars for us at the lowest possible price. And then he doesn't work there anymore. And I didn't want to stare at the screen all day. So I wrote a script that would basically imitate my eyes, watch for the lowest price, and let it run for hours upon hours on end until it got to the lowest price and it would log it. Then I'd come back and I'd say, okay, here's the lowest possible price. Then I'd put it in buy mode and it would watch it again until that lowest price came in and it would buy the cigars for me. So I actually still use that. I just used it yesterday. Still works. And I think that's pretty cool. Jared, I think the biggest thing I'm surprised at is like that you smoke cigars. You don't strike me as like a cigar guy, you know? Mm. This is fascinating. What kind of a guy do I strike you as? I don't know. Not a cigar guy. Now I have to like reevaluate my understanding of like who you are. You know, this is mm, like the plot thickens. Yeah, the plot thickens. I'm like Jared, I'm a multifaceted person. Twist. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, I love this. Yeah, you're you're you you have depth. <laughs> Thank you. You thought I was shallow, but turns out there's one facet. I feel like. A lot of people did that with the vaccine situation like um, I did. I know I did. I like built a little, uh, you know, um, a script that just like refreshed and checked like like when appointments were available in my neighborhood. So I didn't really want to trek like two hours to get a vaccine in the pandemic. So that's what we did. But like I think a lot, you know, it's just it's amazing how it feels like cheating, but when I went there, I was the only one. Really? <laughs> I think any time that the job is like refresh this web page over and over again, like that's a key moment of like, yeah, I'm going to automate this because I'm not going to sit here and just hit refresh for hours, you know? Yeah. And actually speaking of which, so we did a Twitter poll. So we'll be sharing a few stories from like folks, like what folks shared online. But um, Cypress, you know, like Cypress is a tool that, you know, is used for automated like end-to-end -end testing, it's like the little robot that clicks on your on your web apps. But there's developers who use Cypress to like avoid having to like get back into the same state and click a bunch of buttons and manually log in every time, you know. So it's like they, Cypress is running in watch mode. It gets them back to the exact same state that they're that they need to be in, like for the code that they're writing. I mean, I thought that's like genius, right? Like I, I have to say, like the worst part about UI development for me is all of the iteration cycles. And so like, if I can get a robot to like do that for me and while also getting test coverage, right? Like you're writing a test to like continue testing your code, getting to the state, and then you're able to just reproduce it. And that's a trick that I learned a very, very long time ago. Like when I was um, very, very new to software engineering, 
there's a, a senior engineer who really shaped a lot of my thinking. Um, I, I got a bug for the first time and he's like, all right, cool. Let's, let's figure out how to solve this. And he was like, well, the first thing we're going to do is write a test. We're going to write a test that reproduces the bug. And then we're going to be able to keep running that test to like reproduce the bug as we fix the software. And then by the time we fix the software, that test should start passing, you know, it'll be failing now. And so, you know, I was like, wow, like I, you know, I would never have thought of that on my own. And, you know, I always give him credit for that, but that's another cool way to like, it's it, like back to your refresh point, Jared, like that's a good way to, you know, bring that into your developer workflow, you know, as opposed to like buying cigars on the internet. Nothing wrong with that though. <laughs> you know. So Amelia, how about you? So, um, Jared, your story really resonates with me. I, I've done a lot of like data biz client work where you're scraping data or um, there's some cool stories there with like automating getting from Google Sheets or turning Google Docs into like a CMS, which is crazy, but sometimes the right tool. <laughs> um, but I don't want to talk about any of those because there's a fresh one that I think is kind of interesting. I just did a quick exploration of like, we always look at our code bases as a series of folders and files. Um, and I was wondering if maybe there was a different way to visualize that so you can get, a you know, like kind of enhance your understanding of like where files live. Um, you come into a new code base, you don't really know how big it is or where things live or what languages it's in. So I built this interactive tool in React for you like type in your repo name and then it can go look at your repo, it'll get clone it, and then it'll like recursively look at all the files and then visualize it for you. But I was like, no one's gonna use this if it's not part of their existing workflow. So what I did was I created a node script that you can use as a GitHub action, which I've been using more and more recently. And what it does is it actually renders that, um, that React component, because I didn't want to spend a lot of time on it which spits out SVG. So it, I could use the exact same React component, but call it from a node script and then save out an SVG file, which kind of like blew my mind that like things could be this easy. Um, so that's one of the only things in my life that's been that easy and I love it. Well, while we're here, we got to give you props because that repo visualization thing you did is spectacular. Amelda and Amada, did you guys see what Amelia made? No, I, f I feel like I saw like something on Twitter from you recently about something similar to this. Like, <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't see a repo visualization, though. Like, that's cool. Yeah, like I, I saw somebody talking about it. Yeah, I'm like super jealous that GitHub has you on their payroll. I feel like no offense to GitHub, but I just <laughs> I just feel like you're like next level, Amelia. So they're very lucky, you know. Oh, thanks. Seriously. Most definitely. <laughs> we'll link that up in the show notes so that the listener can check it out as well. Can Yeah, so, so the listeners can visualize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a fun, uh, you could say, war story of automation. It was, you know, when I was at college. So we had been contracted by this bank to create some sort of, you know, thing that, you know, uh, was on top of a PLC. It was a, you know, hardware automation thing. And we would burn it with the same code and it would work. We would show the manager, look, it's working. Wait, what's a PLC? Like a POS, like a point of sale device? Uh, no, it's like, uh, 
PLC, I, I think it's it's a programmable logic controller, but it's huge. Mm. You know how you see small ICs nowadays? It used to be around the spec before, you know, like 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, I think they are completely deprecated now. But the software that was running in that uh, PLC, we, we just created a small, you know, Xilinx-based module that would just sit on top of it and automate a bunch of things in a bank, right? And we spent three days mind-boggling about it, like, what the heck is wrong with this thing? We would code, we would run the same code. It would, you know, pass all kinds of tests. We would show the manager everything would be working, and we would always go there after hours. And when the bank would open up, it would just flip the switch. You know, everything that should be on should be would become off, and everything. And it would happen momentarily for some weird, you know, uh, moments uh, of the day or whatnot. And I somehow, you know, I wrote a small bash script that, you know, helped me con- continuously basically DDoS that PLC <laughs> to figure out, you know, what are you thinking now? What are you thinking now? And what we found out uh, through that was like, so there was a capacitor which would, you know, we had placed it in a wrong way and it would get so much sunlight that it would get charged up. It would retain so much charge that it would start thinking, okay, I'm in the on state right now. And it would mess up with our code. So the hardware was all right. The code was the same, but it would just change the flips. And it was like so mind-boggling that, you know, this is one thing that I know uh, it was very hard for any human to pick on something like that. That was when I started looking at, okay, automation is interesting. Like this was more of a ner- nerdy example. When 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 cool one was uh, that was cool. I'm sorry, I just interrupted <laughs> you. Like that was not nerdy. That was really cool. Like no no no. Seriously, yeah. I just I don't have a ton of hardware experience, but like what I like the little that I know is like like working with hardware is so complicated because like there's physics. You know, physics is a thing, and like it's like this variable that's like you know. Like sometimes you know, sometimes you don't, and it's like, oh, there's a there's literally a piece of dust here, or there's like this, you know, this bit has flipped, or it's crazy. Like, yeah, physics is, yeah. Sometimes you know, my electrical engineering background comes into yeah. play. <laughs> not not anymore, but like I used to be famous that I used to like bread with potato, and one of my friends actually brought you know a lot of that. For, his mother has cooked that. In the hostels, when we were, you know, attempting exams, which were like a month long, and we put it in the hostel's kitchen, we called it a mess, and it was locked, you know, it had an automated lock, and around 3 a.m., we felt so hungry that we felt like, okay, we should just destroy that door, <laughs> like, it's our bread, we need to eat it, right? And the fun thing that happened there was like, uh, since we were electrical engineers, uh, we were able to figure out, okay, this log must have LMC55. So like there's a timer I see in there and it must have LMC393. So it, it can definitely detect sound. The sound it used to detect was the, uh, you know, sound of our prefect who used to lock the door with his, you know, voice signature. It, it was a company. We were able to create a fake network of, you know, Wi-Fi around that lock and you know, put put a patch inside it so that LMC timer would, you know, switch this, uh, uh, everything with our code on a particular time base that was around, I think, 3.47 a.m. It took like uh, us about an hour to figure out. And then finally, we just had to, you know, just clap and the door opened. And it was so good because, you know, the sound sensor picked up on our clap and, you know, it, it was equivalent to, you know, that person saying the preferred saying open the door right so like <laughs> so it was so, such a cool hacking experiment for us like okay 
this is something you know we got we got to you know try out we completely forgot about eating bread after that <laughs> <laughs> this is like the best heist movie totally. i've ever watched <laughs> i'm thinking this is why we need to you know this is why you should teach your kids science math and engineering like that's what i'm thinking <laughs> like you know this is just great i love this like you know all this like experimenting while you were so young so when did you start writing software uh ahmed i think i must be like 11 or 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty young. Pretty young. It's definitely pretty young. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're an 11-year-old in 2020 like picking up Python or Ruby or JavaScript like, you know, like there there was no NPM. There was like you no know, Was there even Ruby gems? I don't know. Early 2000s. Ruby didn't exist. Yeah. So. <laughs> Jeez, no that that's incredible. Well, my my automation story, my like the I think the thing that I'm most proud of and and for me it's definitely a journey, it's still continuing and um I like I always tell this to my DevOps teams like I don't want to be a sysadmin when I grow up, but I like want to impress one. So like that's like my goal is to be I like really like end my career as a software engineer having like really, you know, I think mastered computer architecture, um networking systems, you know, all that like back door back alley knowledge like that is just you know always with us as we you know switch jobs and machines and you know products but for me it was actually um working with ASTs i kind of talked about this actually on in changelog a few years ago um but i i i worked on a really cool project with the microsoft edge team while i was uh, uh an open web engineer at boku and it was basically like taking a bunch of like JavaScript files and and tests for the web platform they're actually like tests that test like CSS properties and web APIs but the tests themselves were totally still valid but they used a lot of like um proprietary uh like uh API hooks from like IE so they're valid tests but the we need to now have these tests be open sourceable as well as like these tests need to run on all browsers not just like edge ie right so um how do we do that like we have thousands of test files like lots of repeatable patterns and that was like my really deep deep dive into asts and you know something that would have taken like weeks of manual work that would have probably been error prone like i you know was able to like automate with bash python and like you know um node asts like so well javascript asts so uh it, like writing a bunch of custom transforms and identifiers and of course there was like stuff that i couldn't transform oh and by the way i guess asts are abstract syntax trees it's like the thing that your compiler uses to like read your code you know so it's like this predictable tree uh that literally tells your compiler like this line has this character and this function has this method and whatever else so it's extremely precise it's unlike regex you know it's like very reliable like you know that's why we have linting tools and all of that jazz right um we we trust them because they're using asts they're not using a bunch of regex to like you know format your code so it's not static analysis um but But yeah, so I tra- like we transformed like thousands of test files, did that successfully. Um that was like when I was like, wow, like this is powerful stuff and I really want to invest in it. And I don't get to like invest in that skill set as much as I would like, but it's always like a goal of mine. It's like a constant thing that I'm chipping away at, you know. Yeah, Mel, we had that a deep dive on that conversation episode 362, machine powered refactoring with AST. So if you want to hear a Mel talk about that for 
over an hour, 64 minutes. I'll link that one up in the show notes. <laughs> yep, 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 yeah. We go deep on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. I, ultimately, we're software engineers because we're force multiplying something, right? We, we just rarely get to turn that inwards. You know, we, we rarely get to force multiply ourselves because we have a heavy bias. Like, we're like, no, I need to do it my way and I need to write it again. I need to reinvent the wheel. And it, like, it's fine. Everybody has this thought. Everybody does that. You just got to fight the bias sometimes and try something new and uncomfortable and see where the journey takes you, you know? So do you want to share some stuff from Twitter, Jared? You have the info. I don't have it. All right. Well, I'll shout out a couple. One was from someone who's similar to me. Like I'm working on a set of like good morning scripts. I don't want to have to like manually log into my VPN, do my authentication, blah, 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 blah. There's a whole like, you know, pull, rebase. Other folks are doing that. And Peter Lyons is like hooking into like even having a bunch of default tabs open with his good morning scripts. Just kind of cool, you know, like all the right tabs open based on like branch names or something like that, I think. So, you know, like what Jira ticket to open. <laughs> it's crazy. Like He's gone like, totally off in the deep end in the right way. And then there's other folks that are like doing all kinds of things with Android automation, you know, trying to like automate, turning off alarms, GPS locations, a lot of security stuff, which you don't really think about, which is like really smart to do. And then Jeff Pozik from Google, he works on Workbox, like service worker tooling and other stuff. He's starting to write all of his build scripts in TypeScript. I don't know. Do you want to talk about that a little, Ahmed? You saw that thread, right? Yeah. like I think like ESM modules are really good in everything. Uh, in TypeScript has its place. I just have, in, in my experience, adding a layer of ESM or TypeScript has been a performance bottleneck for me. Like, for example, if I have to, uh, like, you know, like, for example, when I'm done recording my course, and it takes a long time because I'm not a native English speaker, what I do is I run this CLI called C time, course time, in the folder where all there are all rendered videos. And it just goes out and kind of figures out total seconds of each video and, you know, it figures out and, and then prints out, okay, your course is eight hours and this this much long. And that is like, you know, a side comes out and like, okay, finally I'm done, right? I wrote that thing with TypeScript and then I converted it to ESM and it was so slow for some reason. And I could not for the life of me figure out what was making it so slow. But when I transpired it to, you know, uh, Node.js 12, I think uh, back then, it was just so fast, right? It did it in milliseconds. So from that, you know, my gut feeling whenever, you know, I'm doing something that has some production, you know, consequences, like whenever some CLI or automation is in production, I, I try to, you know, kind of stay away from TypeScript and ESM, but Sendrasaur has been pushing a lot that we should all adopt ESM. So I think ESM is gonna get there sooner. I'm not so sure about TypeScript, but hopefully, hopefully soon. I'm with you on the ESM part, but the TypeScript, like I'm not a I'm not a fan of like introducing transpiling unless I absolutely have to. So for server runtimes, like I I'm not a fan of TypeScript. Like please don't hate me, internet. But I've come a long way with TypeScripts. Like you know, I'm just yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll end it there. <laughs> I'm just yeah. I'm just yeah. <laughs> Dot. I'm just yeah. Full stop. You know, yeah. Read between the lines. So yeah, so uh, you know, I mean, it's been uh, it's been really wonderful having you. Um, sorry for pronouncing your name like twelve different ways. <laughs> we'll have to blame Ahmed Nasri, who's like the person who I talk to a lot, who has the same similar spelling name, different pronunciation. For the record, do you want to pronounce your name 
the right way for everybody so that like everybody can hear you say it like your full name yeah for sure and and don't worry about it you know all pronunciations you know all pronunciations are good so <laughs> you know uh, so my name is ahmed avas and the fun part is avas is my actual name and ahmed is my family name mm. so for some reason my parents thought it would be fun to put my ah. second name first <laughs> so I, i kind of you know tell people it call me avas and they always feel odd about it because it's my second name so like It's Emma the way. So, <laughs> see, Emily, you've been doing it right the whole time. Call me my ways. Apparently, you know, uh, you know, my, my husband's Korean, and like they do the same thing. Like his, like every time we're in Asia, like all of a sudden everybody's calling him Kim. I'm like, who's Kim? He's like last name first. That's the way we do it here. Get with the program. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> But anyways, yeah, like here we don't do it like that. It's just my family. So <laughs> just your family did it. <laughs> just well, clearly family of very special people and we're really lucky to have you contributing to the web platform yep. Ahmed as well as like teaching with such enthusiasm and like I think we all have a lot to learn from you so like we wish you the best of luck we'll put all the links in the show notes and we hope everyone uh, is feeling a little more excited about uh, about their terminal <laughs> and, uh, and and trying something new you know just start with the problem that bugs you and like see where it takes you you know and tell us about it tweet tweet at us yeah awesome awesome to be here yeah. and I'll just say one thing if you're creating some CLI definitely tweet uh, me at you know MR MLS Mr. MLS I love using CLI so <laughs> you never know you know <laughs> yeah you should start a hashtag you know we should <laughs> yeah you, sh- you should alright so Jared you want to take us out I do If you're a command line junkie like myself, you will enjoy episode number 451 of the changelog on modern Unix tooling. And if you're just getting started with Node, we did an excellent Node best practices episode of JS Party last year. Check it out at jsparty.fm slash 139. We appreciate you listening and telling others about the show. Word of mouth is our favorite way people learn about the pod. JS Party is produced by Jared Santo, that's me, with music by Breakmaster Cylinder, that's not me. Special thanks to our partners Fastly, LaunchDarkly, and Linode. Next up on the pod, Divi is back and she joins me to learn all about Shopify's move off SaaS and on to, well, I don't want to spoil it. Stay tuned for that episode, it's coming at you next week. Now a moment from the changelog number 450. It's Gary Bernhardt talking Vim. I absolutely would recommend it. I also would recommend people not to beat themselves up over it if they decide they don't like it. Like there's kind of this weird sort of, you know, you have to use the hard thing or you're not you're not a real programmer or whatever. Don't worry about any of that, but give it a try. And I can name three different reasons to do it. And I think all of them are sufficient on their own. So first, RSI, it'll prevent injury. It's a really important thing as a programmer if you want to make a career out of this. The second is speed. Vim is unambiguously faster than other editors. It's not even remotely controversial to say that. But the question, of course, is going to be whether you value speed over what you may be giving up, things like deep language support from something like Visual Studio or, or a JetBrains IDE or whatever. So you're making a trade-off there. But for me, speed is even sufficient on its own because every time you have to stop and like slowly make some edits is a chance for you to forget what you were doing, to lose the state in your brain. And maybe you're like eight levels deep 
deep in your stack and you're going to start losing <laughs> those levels right. if you have to get distracted. Uh, it's also just fun, honestly, to be fast. And then the third reason is that Vim, unlike most other editors, is not going to go away. The Vim keystrokes in particular, so many people have them so deep in their brains that 30 years from now, you will absolutely be able to get an editor that has those keystrokes. I don't know whether it'll be Vim. I don't know whether Bram Molinar will be maintaining it, but right. <laughs> you will be able to use those keystrokes. So any of those for me is sufficient, especially for the last one. If you think about the timeline, just for me, right? 15 years. At the beginning of that time, TextMate was just becoming popular. Then it was Sublime Text was cool. Then Atom was cool. Then VS Code was cool. A lot of people switched between two of those, three of those, maybe all four of those. And that whole time, I was just getting better and better and better at Vim. And you multiply that out by the length of a career, use Vim for 40 years, you're going to be so good at it by the end, and it's still going to be totally relevant, I think. Okay.